the Osborne crisis. Osborne identity crisis. <laughs> the alternate title was uh, Papa Don't Teach You How to Become a Rock Star. <laughs> Papa Don't Teach Colin How to Be a Rock Star. <laughs> um, okay. Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. In 2002, Kelly Osbourne parlayed her role in her family's reality show into a major label record deal and a buzzy pop punk single featured on MTV. In 2005, she debuted an entirely new synth pop sound, and though audiences seemed to be warming up to this new iteration of Kelly, the effort proved to be her swan song. Today we're talking about her final single, One Word. One word. Yeah. Um, hello. Hi. Good How, morning. Good morning. How are you? Are you awake? I'm fine. Okay. I am. I am. You know, it's uh daylight saving, man. I mean, we got a whole extra hour and um we were I squandered it. We were up late last night. I was up later. I know. I we 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 saw each other in person last night mm-hmm. for a uh, a little uh, friend soiree, and um, we were up late. Uh huh. Parting Some hard. Karaoke. Parting hard. Hardly parting. Oh, karaoke. Yeah. So our voices, our voices are a little strained today. We should be on vocal rest today, but yeah, yeah. Here we I are. Need to do the Celine Dion like. <laughs> Just tap into the mic. Yes. Uh, I mean, I feel it though. I can feel it this mm-hmm. morning. I'm like, oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, well, it's, you know, just, just uh, really just uh, building those bangers really just yeah. takes a toll. By the way, our friend's karaoke system, it's, it's the grand karaoke system. It started acting really buggy this in the past few months. The, there's a delay between the microphone and the TV speaker. So you're constantly out of sync. So I believe that that's the reason that our scores go down. Mm-hmm. So these karaoke machines at the end, it kind of rates you on how on, on like lyric and on pitch you were. And we used to be able to easily score in the high seventies on a good day. You'd get up there in the nineties. You know, Jason is obviously a uh, former American idol auditionee <laughs> auditioner. So he could he could easily get into those 90s. And in the past couple of times that we've done this, I feel like none of us have broken 70. At best, oh. we get like a 67. Or 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 average at like 45. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you can do better. Yeah. Same thing my Apple Watch says to me when I go for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone out there can either troubleshoot this problem for us, I suspect we need a different cable. I think we need to do HDMI cable for video and we need to do AV cables for audio and route it differently because I don't think that the audio signal is going fast enough into the television and it's coming out real delayed. Um, It really does mess up the, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's karaoke, so you you don't expect perfection, but you really don't want it to sound trash. You don't. And it's so confusing. (laughs) It's like, you know, 
there really is that adrenaline rush, the ooh-ah you get of hearing the reverb on your voice coming out of a TV, synced up to the track. And when it's off, and it's almost like, I always think about when singers have to wear an earpiece because they're singing in an arena. So they're singing and they're actually hearing their voice bouncing off of the audience and coming back at them like, you know, a second later. You know that thing about like... I, I mean, I know it. I just don't... I never... I just assume that it's so loud on stage that they don't actually hear the echo. Oh, I always, I always heard it was like a weird thing where you can't actually hear what you're singing or when you're supposed to be singing. Cause it's like a cacophony of like sound coming back at you. And that's why people are always like, when you see people at live shows, like trying to flag the audio technician to like turn up their monitors or turn up their earpiece, it's cause they like can't hear like when they're supposed to be singing. Right. Yeah, many, many a botched live performance have been blamed on that. Mm-hmm. Didn't Mariah pull that one year? Mariah pulled that. What was that one um, where she was barely singing the whole time and she was just kind of like laughing her way through a performance? And wasn't was it, it New Year's Eve? Was it? And then she felt New like she was like Eve. set up, like yeah. someone yeah, yeah, messed yeah. her up. They were sabotaged her. Yeah. Jennifer Lopez was back there mm-hmm. just working the sound booth. So that was us, us last night trying to sing karaoke. Uh, Beyonce has one where she's um, when she performed at Glastonbury uh, several years ago. Um, she's singing that song One Plus One. She's like on the piano, like on top of the piano, doing her thing. And there's one at one point she she sings a line. You know, she, her head's moving. She sings a line, and then she very quickly like makes a motion to the side of the stage and like taps her ear, taps her mic, does the little talkie hand with her a talkie symbol with her hand and then taps her mic again and shakes her head and then keeps going. (laughs) It's very funny. I thought it was very funny. (laughs) I was like, someone died. Someone died back there. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's all, it's all over the place when you, you watch YouTube videos of live performances that when it goes wrong, there's always these different ways that performers have of like trying to signal to the audio tech that like, Hey, like something's wrong. Sometimes they'll like sing it. You know, unrelated, uh, Patti LaBelle, when she was doing, um, oh, where are my backup singers? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like singing. She doesn't know the lyrics. The music has started. Her backing singers are not there. What was that song? Is that the, the This Christmas? I think it's This Christmas. And, and, and she's like yelling at the person with the cue cards because it was the Christmas tree lighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything um, was Washington, wrong. DC. Everything went wrong. And she's like, next card, honey, next card. Like, I don't know this song. <laughs> like sent her out before like the rest of Eddie but like the cues were off yeah. it was she's singing choruses with classic. no backing singers she's got a cue card operator that's advancing cards too soon or too late and it's it's a mess but it's an iconic mess <laughs> oh yeah youtube it let's search for it on youtube it is it will bring joy bring joy to your life yeah if you were not around in the 90s it was one of the many gifts that the clinton presidency gave us <laughs> Remember the inauguration and Aretha Franklin? Because there was like the one of the um, inauguration concerts was at Madison Square Garden. And Aretha Franklin gets up on stage in a fur coat to sing I Dreamed a Dream from Le Mis. Uh huh. It was just like. Was this from a Clinton inauguration? Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, she and, did a Clinton and an Obama inauguration. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, she was, she was holding on until. But so she she gets up there and she sings a song and I dreamed a dream is famously about like 
not getting what you've dreamed. Uh. <laughs> right? Like, like it's like giving it's like I've done all of this and it was for nothing. <laughs> and she like changed the last lyric so it's not like a huge downer. What was what, what is it like my dream has died or the dream has died or whatever. Oh. It wasn't that, but like she like throws her coat again. But mm-hmm. it was it was just it's just funny cuz you're like why this song? I don't get it. <laughs> well, we can talk about that today when Kelly Osborne does uh, Papa Don't Preach. We can talk about that. Oh, my God. Um, relevant content. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about Kelly Osborne today. Um, this is my trifecta of Kelly's. I have now okay. done Kelly Rowland, Kelly Clarkson, and we are now doing Kelly Osborne. I think I were talking about if I did Kelly Price, but I, I know next to nothing about Kelly no. Price except that she's a COVID long hauler. So I mean, she did. She did cover that song as we lay. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the best song about infidelity. <laughs> <laughs> See, I feel like you should cover like "Ladies of Soul." I probably should. I feel like "Ladies of Soul," especially "Neo Soul," like they don't get a whole lot of attention. And, yeah, and like mainstream pop music. For whatever reason. I mean, what, I think yeah. it's I th- probably because they're black. Right? I mean. Yeah. You I look mean, at like Faith. Yeah, it's. Yeah. You had the whole Divas, sh- the VH1 Divas show. And it was like Faith Evans. Was Angie Stone on that show? I forget. You just sent me that that one song. And I Such used to run song. to it. Such a what good song. Such a good song. Oh, shit. <laughs> Loving Me For Me. Loving Me. Yeah. No, was that what it was? It was good. I used to yeah, run to it. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song, underappreciated. Um, we don't get that, like, exposure. You don't get the pop shine. Yeah. Unless they're like a Whitney. It's, it's, it's so niche. Um, Sorry, I'm looking up what the stupid song was. This fantastic <laughs> song, sorry. R&B Divas, Loving Me. Loving Me. Featuring... Monifa Carter, Selena Johnson, Kiki Wyatt, and Nikki Gilbert. Faith Evans, right? Was the lead? Faith Evans was the lead. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Um, anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, but we were talking about like, you know, future episodes that you're gonna um lead the rallying cry for. I'm gonna lead the rallying cry because I really do get kind of stymied when it's uh some non uh r&b soul diva some tween pop star yeah. <laughs> i'm like i am too i don't know this <laughs> i'd love to take a deep dive with you though because like sometimes when you talk mm-hmm. about these like r&b soul or neo soul singers that i only vaguely know you get so excited and you have like these really deep insights that are incomprehensible to me but endlessly fascinating so i mean kelly price uh Former Mariah Carey backup singer. <laughs> she wasn't the one that on American Idol, like Mariah Carey had to shush. Do you remember that? Yeah. Stop and then singing, on, on, stop singing my line America? baby or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she had that one rogue backing singer for a while that was just singing over her. <laughs> oh, she lost the script. Anyway. Oh. Um, anyway, well. We can take it to break, I think. 
let me just tell you, though, before we go to break, that songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social at Flop Redeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And as always, email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com with your comments, suggestions, and general ephemera. All right, so we're back, and today I'm talking about Kelly Osbourne and her 2005 final single, One Word. Um, A little bit about Kelly Osbourne, in case you don't know who she is. Kelly Osbourne is the daughter of Black Sabbath lead vocalist Ozzy Osbourne and talent manager slash TV personality Sharon Osbourne, recently disgraced uh, TV personality Sharon Osbourne. Mm -hmm. Whole like that kerfuffle on the talk. I mean, Kelly did it too. And then now I feel like, I feel like Sharon, well, I feel like Sharon Osbourne's response to that kerfuffle was to really like double down and like dig her claws in. Is that what the phrase is? Dig her claws in? What is it called? Heels. Heels. Heels and claws. Dig them all. Dig them all in. And I almost feel like this is the process of like militarizing like bigots. You know, I feel like Sharon Osbourne has been perhaps militarized into like a Piers Morgan ally in the whole process of being canceled. Mm. I think it's the unforeseen consequence of cancel culture. You it's know? like when you cancel them, they just get harder. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's very analogous to how like terrorists are created, right? Like when they talk about the militarization of terrorism. And like how people are driven to those beliefs and those extremes. It's it's in part because of like the perception that you're being attacked, right? Mm-hmm. And it hardens you. Anyway, yeah. that's today's that's, that's today's like- uh, analogy about uh, terrorism and Sharon Osbourne. <laughs> so Sharon Osbourne. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, so the world was first introduced to Kelly on the family's reality television program, The Osbournes, which ran in the U.S. on MTV from 2002 to 2005. In its first season, the show became the most watched show on MTV and earned an Emmy Award for Best Reality Program, besting such classics as American High, Frontier House, Project Greenlight, Taxi Cab Confessions, and Trauma, Life in the ER. This was truly like the infancy of reality tv right like figuring out like what what would what do people want and like what do people what do we expect like yeah from reality tv i mean i feel like reality television very quickly jumped the shark well maybe not i think if you look at like the history of like if you consider the real world as like seminal transition between like documentary television into quote unquote reality television like the real world over the course of the 90s from when it debuted it it kind of morphed into something else like i think that the creators realized that like documentary style television wasn't must-see television necessarily right yeah yeah yeah. Like I remember watching The Real World New York, the original one was so fascinating when it came out, but it was very very unstructured. They didn't really hold the cast members to any kind of rules, so like 
I remember one of the guys, Andre, he just never really showed up. Like he was sometimes there, but most of the times he was just off living his life in New York. He was like in a band doing all kinds of stuff. So he was very rarely featured. And I like feel it wasn't produced. It wasn't produced. They didn't have kind of those like Laguna Beach, the Hills style setups where you set up a scenario and let it happen kind of semi-organically in a fake reality television I remember, way. Yeah. And I remember that being sort of a big shift mm-hmm. and I don't remember if it was controversial, but I remember it being talked about as like, does like, can you still call this reality TV? Yeah. And I think as a collective audience, we were like, I don't know. Like we're supposed to just watch these people just do whatever they do. Like this is the format, right? Like yeah. now obviously our understanding is different and our expectations are different. Yeah. But. Like the real world started to change. It started to be more about, you know, the relationships, the romances, the hot bodies. And like, you know, at some point they started giving the, the cast of the real world. Like there was that one where they were all given jobs at like a radio station, Mm -hmm. you know? So there was a level of production introduced to the process. And by the time we get to the two thousands, like I didn't realize this, but like, as far as I could tell, the Osbournes was one of the first kind of let's watch a wealthy family do nothing in particular except be like these wealthy eccentric people for a half hour mm-hmm. type of show. Like voyeuristic. Yeah. Which yeah. Is- and it's, it, you know, I was looking it up. So the Osbournes debuted in 2002 and, you know, it follows the lives of the Osbournes, Ozzy Osbourne, lead singer of Black Sabbath, obviously kind of an oddball eccentric character, kind of ooky spooky. Right. I think mm-hmm. the, in the opening episode I was watching, um, They're moving into a new house in Beverly Hills and Sharon's talking about how many crucifixes they're going to put up and oh, how this house will never sell again because they're going to redo it in their own style. And they pan over to boxes that say like dead things or devil heads, you know? So it's very that. It's it's very Mm -hmm. self-aware about how ridiculous they're trying to make the Osbournes seem. Um, Mm -hmm. Ozzy Osbourne, I think the disarming thing about seeing the show when it first aired was that like Ozzy Osbourne has this like heavy metal rock star prince of darkness persona and then to see him like hobbling around his beverly hills house in adidas track pants being just so out of it and kind of like um almost feeble i want to say mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. there was a feebleness mm-hmm. to him that was kind of shocking when the show first came out and there's a, there's a scene in the first episode where he's trying to figure out their new home like computer system like their whole it's like a smart home like 20 years ago and he's trying to change the channel on the TV or something. And he accidentally turns on the shower and like, ha ha. Right. But, um, <laughs> that always happens. Yeah. But I was just fascinated by the fact that like, this is one of the first instances of this type of program aside from, um, the Anna Nicole show. Like this show debuted the same year that Anna Nicole Smith's show debuted mm. on E. And for those of who didn't see it, like that was also kind of like a, let's watch this notorious media train wreck yeah like not even really a celebrity yeah uh, at the time like it was it was she was more yeah, notorious was, as you know she was a, was she a, oh she wasn't a spokesmodel for trim spa yet she was like yet, a supermodel no. in the 90s like iconic guest girl she was in the naked mm-hmm. gun movies um like total like bombshell total bombshell very uh modeled after Marilyn monroe but very 90s version of that yeah and you know her reality program on e it kind of 
focused on how not together her life was. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's I mean to look at it to look at it in hindsight, it feels pretty exploitative. Yeah. Of a woman that like obviously had problems, would continue to have problems to to the end of her life, right? So yeah, I thought that was just interesting that, you know, this is one of those these first types of reality shows because, you know, following this show, that's where you get shows like The Simple Life with Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. You get Newlyweds Nick and Jessica with Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson. Um, you know, and then there were a whole slew of like the I feel like every carbon copy after that was like less and less successful, right? I was thinking yeah. about it. I was like, oh, whatever happened to that show, Gastineau Girls? Do you remember that show? Yes. Gastineau yes. Girls, uh, Lisa and Brittany Gastineau, who in my head were sisters. I just realized they're mother, mother and daughter. Mother and daughter, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. I, I, like, don't, I never watched it. I mean, even at the, I remember, I remember when this stuff came out um, because, you know, it just felt so trashy, like tabloidy. Yeah. And, 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 and like, it made, left a bad taste in my mouth about quote unquote reality TV for a very long time until until the quote art form changed, you know? <laughs> like reality TV hit peak trash real fast. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. at the time, like I, full disclosure, I'm into the trash, but like Gastineau <laughs> girls at the time, I was like, what the hell is a Gastineau? Yeah. You know, I guess it's, it's he's a football player and this is his, like socialite, oh. his socialite family. Um, you know, but there was also uh, Princes of uh, Malibu starring mm-hmm. Brody Jenner and Brandon Jenner mm-hmm. and their stepfather. Um, oh, my God. I just blanked. Catherine, Mc- Catherine McPhee's husband. David Foster. David Foster. I I think I've mentioned this before. In my mind, I always thought that that was then Bruce Jenner as the father in Princes of Malibu. And I was reading up on it. It's like, oh, that was. Um, God, what's his name? He has such a generic name. David, David Foster. Foster. I said it multiple I times. Like, I was like, <laughs> I keep wanting to call him Dave Thomas, but that's the founder oh of God, Wendy's. The right? Wendy's. <laughs> um, see, Dave Thomas is just sticks in my head. What's his name? <laughs> Foster. Foster. David Barry. David Foster. David Foster. Um, this morning, I had a fever dream where I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, wait, is, does that mean Catherine McPhee is Brody Jenner's stepmom now? Mm, kind of. Anyway, yeah. all the uh, so many followers keeping up with the Kardashians, and then you start to get into like all of the celebrities have a reality show. To Braxton Family Values, I think, I think Christina Milian had a show. Brandy and Ray J had a show. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, that's like a thing you do, and it. I don't know that it. I don't know that it adds to your shine when you decide to. Do no, it. no. I mean, it's it's always interesting. I feel like with certain celebrities, it's like there's an angle because they're gonna like promote like something like an like a like an album yeah or something you that, know? and that's the thing is like there are those shows like ashley simpson's reality show i mean rest in peace ashley simpson's music career but like ashley simpson's show was all about the development of her music career and it was i think that that was really effective because no one knew who she was except that she was jessica simpson's little sister it followed her through the process of like songwriting making her album um you know and I recall that show actually being very interesting and it made me more interested when her debut album came out, Mm. you know, and that was a totally different path to go down. And like, but like things like it didn't have a purpose, like it had a purpose in a way that the others, the others did. They were just kind of just like, look at us being wealthy and crazy. Yeah. Braxton family values. Like, I guess that arguably launched the 
successful career of Tamar Braxton. Like Tamar had been trying for a while. And because she was kind of the breakout star of Braxton Family Values that like her subsequent albums did very well. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, the Osbournes. So yeah, you know, they get involved in this reality television show following their ooky spooky lives. It's very, very successful for MTV. And in the process, so in November of 2002, coinciding with the season two premiere of the Osbournes, Kelly officially launches her singing career with the release of her debut album, Shut Up, released in the U.S. by Epic Records, which incidentally is also the home of her father, Ozzy Osbourne. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. Possibly coincidental. Who knows? I don't know. I wasn't in the room. I was not in the room. So this album is led off by the single Papa Don't Preach. I I didn't, I was, I was unclear on the chronology of this because it all gets mixed up, but I I think I've nailed this down looking at the release dates. So she leads off with the single Papa Don't Preach. It's a pop metal cover of the 1986 Madonna song. And reportedly she records this song with members of the band Incubus, which is, it was very strange to me. This apparently did not add to the shine of Incubus either in critical reviews. People were like, why would you do this? So they do this song. She does this song. It's uh, in collaboration with members of Incubus, also produced by her brother, Jack. Um, I was reading through articles. In some interviews, Kelly said that she intended to re-record the song without them. But it's unclear exactly which version is the one that we ended up hearing. Okay. A lot of write-ups make it seem like we ended up just hearing the Incubus and Jack Osborne version. And, you know, critically, the response is mixed because, well, to your point about um, Aretha Franklin singing I Dreamed a Dreamed at Clinton's inauguration inappropriately, people are saying like, well, sure, we get the Papa Don't Preach thing and the relation to Ozzy Osbourne, but like beyond that single lyric, this doesn't make sense for her to be singing. <laughs> right, because isn't it about like, uh, an unwed teen who gets pregnant and well, then her father wants keep to keep in my baby. Yeah. Right. Like, isn't it like her but father? It, it, it's ambiguous, right? It's like, are you yeah. just talking about a man? Is she talking about a baby? Yeah. Was her father Danny Aiello in that video? Yeah. I okay. So. <clears throat> anyway. So, you know, critically mixed reaction, but it's very buzzy. Obviously just the hook of it gets people's attention. It's featured on the Osbournes and it kind of sets her singing career in motion. When she releases the follow-up single, Shut Up, which she says is about her brother, Jack, you know, and this song, of course, yields the iconic lyric, blah, 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 lyric genius. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about some amazing lyrics in these songs today. Um, You know, she releases that song. I remember hearing that song on the radio, but it's like she's solidly positioning herself as a member of this like rising group of pop punk female vocalists in the vein of Avril Lavigne, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a third single plan called Come Dig Me Out, but prior to its release, Kelly was in fact dropped by Epic Records due to the poor sales of the album. I think in total to date, the album has sold like 150,000 copies. Oh, yeah. so a success. And so... When I was reading about this in relationship to Epic also being the home to her father, Ozzy Osbourne, in a report about Kelly being dropped, Billboard just, you know, by the by mentions that Sharon Osbourne mentioned that Ozzy was maybe thinking about leaving Epic. And um, 
spoiler alert he didn't he continued to release albums <laughs> with epic but you know interesting connection there mm-hmm. so then in 2003 she signs with sanctuary records and her debut album was reissued with new cover art and the title changes featuring a new single by the same name a duet with her father ozzy osbourne originally recorded by his former band black sabbath the album also featured four live bonus tracks and in kind of um thinking about positioning Kelly Osbourne as like this pop punk vocalist at the time. I feel like that there's, especially within rock music, like a question of credibility a lot of times. Right. And I was wondering in listening through this reissued album with these live tracks, I feel like there was a, an attempt made to establish credibility with these live tracks to be like, Hey, look, like she's not just some rich Beverly Hills goth girl that, got into a recording studio and did these vanity tracks like she's out here performing you know i don't know though if any of this moved the needle for her necessarily like Mm -hmm. there was no big shift in her success by just reissuing the same album with a few extra tracks so then wait did i get to the what oh my god jason what i've gotten to the part where i mentioned the song we're talking about today oh there we go (laughs) Oh my God, it's only 32 minutes in. Amazing, amazing. You're ahead of schedule. So, like by half an hour. I know. So the one thing that this um, move to Sanctuary does accomplish for her, it doesn't move the needle for her first album, but it does give her a home for her second album, which is 2005's Sleeping in the Nothing. And this album is led off by the single One Word, which was released in May 2005 with the album released the following month. So this track, which was produced by Linda Perry, debuts an entirely new synth pop sound for Kelly. I think critics were talking about like Fisher Spooner as kind of a direct comparison and also like 80s synth pop as like where the musical inspiration for a lot of these songs came from. Mm -hmm. But overall, the album as a whole gains very, very mixed reactions. Like a lot of people don't think that Kelly has the charisma or the vocal talent to necessarily deliver on these songs. But by and large, the reaction to the single is fairly positive. So this song, One Word, it does in fact land Kelly atop all three U.S. Billboard dance charts. And I think, I think if memory serves, like this song is like one of the only songs to ever do that. Mm. I don't even know what the three different dance charts are, but Kelly was atop all of them. Massive accomplishment for a song that nobody knows, maybe, except gay people who were at clubs in 2005. That's true. Although, as we established, we were talking earlier, we were both in clubs in 2005. I don't remember hearing this song in clubs. I remember it on, on a TV screen, but I don't, you know, so having, you meaning that I saw the video somehow. Mm. Black and but white, I, Kelly I in a taxi cab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, mm-hmm, yeah, know. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very, very strange. Yeah, very strange. Very strange. So you know, the song it 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 tops the dance charts on the Billboard Hot 100. It ends up at um, bubbling under number 21, which so is 121. 121, as we've established in the uh, the previous math episodes we did about the Billboard charts. This was 121. Um, you know, and it was a huge change in direction for her. She was presented to us as this like pink haired like punk tinged 
Like she had this punk tinted grit and rock snarl in her debut. And then she comes back with one word and it's this very mid tempo eighties inspired synth track. And Kelly's vocals are decidedly like sedate and like almost robotic. Mm. I think intentionally so in a very like craft kind of way. I think it's very in vogue for like that eighties style of pop to not, mm-hmm. you know, not sing your guts out basically. <laughs> Yeah, and restraint. If we're being honest, yeah, Kelly's Kelly's strength is not singing her guts out. <laughs> oh, so you know, this song came out. I liked this song when it came out. I thought it was a solid effort, and you know, I think that we thought that this maybe could have been a rebirth of sorts for Kelly's singing career. However, this release was fraught with problems, which ultimately result in. Kelly Osbourne never releasing music again, as far as we know. Um, The first thing that happened with this song that I didn't know about until I was looking into this song is that there was actually a plagiarism accusation against Mm. this song. So um, Linda Perry, who wrote and produced this song, who at the time was also, you know, had been a champion for um, revamping Christina Aguilera with Stripped, had been instrumental in revamping Pink with Misunderstood, um, had also been working with Gwen Stefani on Gwen Stefani's solo work. You know, she was getting mm-hmm. this reputation as this, like, uh, I guess a queen maker of sorts. Yeah, yeah. And, and and really helping to revitalize these careers of of these women in pop, really, who needed a little bit more edge, needed a little bit more artistic authenticity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, a sheen of... A patina of authenticity and 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 almost grunge, but in a, in a way like it just it felt more um, like sometimes with pop, you, it feels like you're listening to like a machine, and I feel like Linda Perry's stuff always it felt more human, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And so she really was able to you know through her participation with these artists orchestrate these breakout moments. For all three of those women, I think. Yeah. Um, but however, in working with Kelly Osbourne, I mean, this was this was a breakout moment for Kelly. Breakout of the music industry moment for Kelly Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Linda Perry works on this whole album and this particular song with Kelly Osbourne. Um, when the song is released, people notice that this song does bear a striking res- resemblance to a song called Fade to Grey, which was released by a band called Visage in 1980. And after some legal battles, they settled out of court and Visage was given a percentage of this song. I was just surprised that Linda Perry, of all people, would be the one to produce this song that had that problem. Maybe I mean, I mean, it's possible that it was fully conceived of and they just bear striking similarities, Maybe. coincidentally. Yeah. Because music, you know. But is that called like collective unconscious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the boomerang was invented, uh, the boomerang was invented simultaneously in like Australia and like somewhere else in the world. Is that a fact? <laughs> I don't is that a know scientific? that. They were both, that. I, think th- I think that's fact. The boomerang was invented in, like in Australia and like we, we associate with Australia, but like Elsewhere in the world, someone else had also developed that technology. How does it come back? Nobody knows. I mean, somebody knows. I don't know. 
I'm always terrified it's going to come back, hit me in the face, or cut off my head. So I don't blame. Yeah, like I can, I can't even orchestrate throwing a single object away from me to get it to go away from me in the direction I want it to. (laughs) You just throw it directly into the ground. I'm the person that throw tries to throw away, and it hits the ground right in front of me. (laughs) So the idea that I could throw something out to a spot that I want it to go to, and then have it come back to me at a point where I want it to go to, is just Mm -hmm. mind-boggling terrifying impossible um the other thing that i think is significant about this year is that so their television show the osbournes it ends its run in march of 2005 so two to three months in advance of the release of this single and this album and i i don't think it can be understated how critical i think it was that when kelly osborne released papa don't preach she had a television show that was airing on mtv and it was like the most popular reality show on mtv yeah you know and you could kind of see behind the curtain a little bit of yeah but just like the what do marketers call that the 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 reach the reach that she had while she had a a television show on national television cable television you know cannot be undercut and so this single comes out, this album comes out. She's not on your television anymore. Uh, they ripped the song off of another group. And then um, what happens that I think is probably the biggest contributing factor to the disappearance of this song and this album is that in June of 2005, Kelly um, enters a rehabilitation treatment center for addiction to prescription painkillers. And that effectively ends all promotion of this album and single and shortly thereafter she's actually dropped by sanctuary records Hmm. i think kelly osborne like she had been in and out of rehab i think once or twice prior to this for the same issues she talks about it on in people magazine is like uh she once once she had like oral surgery and they gave her vicodin and like you know she felt powerful like she didn't give a shit anymore because I think when you watch, like when I was rewatching the Osbournes, I was like, oh, this is a trip because like she is so, I mean, in a way that I guess a lot of teenagers are, she just seems so angry and self-conscious and you can see how like when you get that taste of like, oh, this is what it feels like to be, to just not, not give a shit anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and nonetheless, one word was the last musical effort put out by Kelly Osbourne. Again, I really like this song. When it came out, I was like, hey, this is a fun song. I think it's a good vehicle for her. You know, do I think that she is the best singer? Do I think she is the most charismatic singer? Do I think she is a pop star? No, but like, hey, this is a song that you didn't hear. And, you know, there were some extenuating circumstances to it. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the basic story of Kelly Osbourne, which I've, uh, completed in record time. <laughs> it's slick. Which it's slick. Is, you know, just like your performance today, sliding on through. We were talking about how, like, in the past, like, we did Whitney in our last episode, and um, there's just so much to cover with the life of Whitney Houston. It's just never unending. I was like, oh, there's not that much to talk about with Kelly Osbourne. Like, her window is very, very small. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. The window of relevance, maybe. In the- yeah. Musically, at least. When I was 
like thinking about this song, when I was thinking about the phenomenon that is Kelly Osbourne, there was some kind of general things that I thought we could kind of, you know, wrap uh-huh. up the episode by talking about a little bit. Um, so one of the things is, and I don't want to be shady, but mm-hmm. can, can Kelly Osbourne sing? You know, it's an interesting question. I, I You know, it's it's almost... I want to say, again, not to be shady, it doesn't matter sometimes. like Sometimes you know, it does not matter, correct. You know, depending on the production, depending on your overall persona, depending on your charisma. X factor. Right? I mean, look, we just, we just came back into this season with Jennifer Lopez. Mm. The question around that is, like, can Jennifer Lopez sing? <laughs> you know, and I mean, yeah. she can carry a tune and... You know, but you know, different things for different people, right? You you don't you don't always need to be a Celine Dion or yeah. or something to be considered a singer. But you do need to have charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Yes, thank you, RuPaul. Uh, to, RuPaul, right? like so so prescient about like seeing through, you know, mm-hmm. and boiling it down to like this is what it is, and it has these great initials. <laughs> but yeah, it it is that thing where. I think if you have the charisma and the songs are good mm-hmm. and there's a point of view, I think you can make it work with a middling voice. I don't yeah. think you can make it work with no voice, but I think you can make it work with, you know, maybe, you know, lower. Yeah. Oh, lower music. Oh, my God. See Kim Kardashian's uh, single. What was her song? Oh, I don't even remember that. Uh, it sound like if you pair? if you thought that all of these people that were doing cash grabs by doing vanity songs were talentless hacks just listen to kim kardashian's single and you will realize that it actually takes a little bit of effort <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> because the kim yeah. kardashian song is astoundingly bad i can't i could not believe that they could not make kim kardashian sound even passable <laughs> they couldn't even get her to kim zolciak level oh wow that song was no tardy for the party what was the other one? Uh, was it Ramona? The, oh, um, you know, like money can't buy you class. All, I didn't know how many of the Real Housewives had released music until I was researching this episode. I think it started from Kim, right? Like I, I, I don't I think know. So. I didn't really watch it, but like it just became kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, aside from Candy Burris, who had been recording music oh, well, for yeah. decades, yeah. and I think yeah, Erica Jane. I, I was reading that Erica Jane. I think was also maybe had already been experimenting uh, with. The, um, um, Barry, did you not wait? Are you serious? You don't know this? I am like unaware of the Real Housewives universe. I one of my favorite, most comfortable t-shirts was an Erica Jane t-shirt that was thrown at me from the stage at the factory one night. Um <laughs> because it was like unlike a lot of cheap t-shirts that I get thrown at you mm-hmm. by artists, it was an American apparel t-shirt. Uh, none of that Gildan bullshit. No, no, or like Fruit of the Loom, like just scratchy as yeah. shit. Yeah, are those Hanes 50-50, the 50-50 oh poly God. cotton blend? Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it had her like in a, I want to say like a leotard, but like in like a barbed wire or, <laughs> remember Pamela Anderson barbed wire? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of like squatty pose, but like in profile. And I I would wear it occasionally. Okay. I was like, I don't know who this woman is. Was her singing I, good? I don't remember. Did she have charisma, uniqueness, nerve, or talent? I guess nerve, right? She had nerve. 
she ha- I guess she had charisma. Okay. I mean, like she, I, I just remember like she'd been, she would pop up at these things. Yeah, yeah. I think she, right? like, she's and, one of the ones that pursues music in earnest. It's not just yeah, vanity yeah, yeah. tracks. Yeah. Yeah, and then, but I'd never hear the song. I, I don't ever, I don't ever remember the song itself. And then, and then when she showed up on on Real Housewives again, I don't watch Real Housewives, so I, I know this through conversations with other people and like kind of gay Twitter, etc. And I'm like, is this the same Erica Jane whose T-shirt? You know, like, because I'm like, it can't be the same person, right? Because I was like, oh, she's... And then I realized she married that ultra-wealthy man and Tom, and that kind of made sense. But yeah, yeah no, I mean, it, it is that thing where you're like, huh. Like, you you do have to have something. You have to have something. But like, gotta, gotta even get if a you gimmick. have things, and even if you have money, like, you can't, you can't just will this into yeah uh, being can't can't make something out of nothing mm-hmm. polishing a mm-hmm. turd polishing a turd um <laughs> yeah, so anyway when it comes to like kelly osborne's singing voice and you know the shift from her more rock edged performances into like synth pop i was thinking a lot about like oh you know it's interesting because you do have documented rock women in rock that were doing kind of like not monotone, but de- de- like low energy vocals. I think I was talking to you about like the waitresses. When you listen to like the waitresses songs, her vocals are very low energy or very like down. There's almost like a snarl or like attitude uh-huh. to it. And then I was also thinking of the, um, the Romeo Void song, Never Say Never. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. The one where she's talking about like, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better if we slept together? That song. And just that whole attitude that's infused into that lyric it makes the whole song, despite the fact that it's not really even sung. It's like spoke sung, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that for the most part, that was what made Kelly Osbourne's punk pop output feel rather empty. You know, she was going up against like Avril Lavigne, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Queen. I mean, a, lo- a lot of people can, or not, I don't want to say a lot of people, but certainly in Avril, there's so much attitude you know we you know we were and to, to change genres really quickly uh like thinking of whitney houston doing i have nothing of course you and went at the there and uh-huh. at the end of at the end of i have nothing it's like i have nothing 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 to be able to like punch it out with this like you know the desperation while still singing like that's a skill right like and until you try and do it at karaoke or in your car and you realize like, I have nothing, nothing. No one believes yeah. you. No one believes you. But to be able to sing a line like that and sing it and yeah. to have that attitude get carried into your, the melody and into your delivery um, is a skill. Feeling your lyrics. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny because like you can feel your, ly- your lyrics and and truly not be able to convey that to anybody. That's true. That's true. Right. I mean, and I think that that's sometimes what happens with some of these artists where it's like, I'm sure they feel it. Yeah. It just, it's a, it is a technical skill to be able to put that emotion into the song. Yeah. I mean, delivery. I know that in music, you know, when I was in like band and orchestras, like one of the hardest things to do was when a phrase repeats itself, like when a, when a musical phrase repeats itself, mm-hmm. you know, musical directors are always like, 
you can't do it the second time exactly the same we did it the first. Like it can't be repetitive. It has to build in some way or it has to evolve like crescendo, decrescendo, change your intonation, change your intention, you know? And so to your point about Whitney Houston and nothing, 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 it's a deceptively difficult line to deliver because you're saying the same word three times, but you can't just do it the same way each time yeah. because it, it's slightly it, different. Each it time. goes nowhere and it, it, and it eliminates the purpose of that lyric, right? So to bring it back to Kelly Osbourne, when she does blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that line literally goes nowhere. <laughs> it's just not the same. Um, <laughs> it's the same, but it's different. Yeah. Um, okay, so, you know, clearly... I think that there is a question of charisma with Kelly Clark. Uh, Ke- oh, Kelly Clarkson. Sorry. Oh, wow. I misspoke. Kelly Osborne. And one thing that I think going off of that, I think that one of the reasons that it's so easy to be cynical about Kelly Osborne and her singing abilities or her X factor when it comes to her singing is the fact that she falls in this unique intersection between offspring of a popular musician and a reality TV star pursuing a music career. And I was thinking about all the different people who are either one or the other, right? Like um, Liza Minnelli, daughter of Judy Garland. Pretty mm. su- uh, no, very successful Oscar yeah, winner. EGOT. Oscar winner. EGOT. Did she get, did she earn all of them or did she get one honorary? I, so. no. I think she got an honorary Tony. How dare you? Check, got- check, check the records later. Don't check it. <sighs> Listeners, check the records. Email me <laughs> if I'm wrong. <laughs> Email me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but for every Liza Minnelli, there's also a Lorna Luft, Judy uh-huh. Garland's lesser known daughter. Um, notable for her role in um, Grease 2. She was the blonde in Grease 2. Oh, you know what? Sorry. She's not an EGOT. Oh. I shouldn't have looked at What didn't she get? A, I think she's missing a Grammy. A Grammy? Really? Yeah. Shocking. Maybe this time. Yeah. Well, she I don't. I, th- I, th- I think Liza Minnelli's. Days are numbered. Um, of award of award winning. Wow. <laughs> I, I saw her at Disney Concert Hall. Well, I saw ago. her too. I thought she was gonna choke on her tongue. I thought she was gonna topple over the fo- the folding chair they brought out for her to sit on. <laughs> but we have uh, we, there's a, a literal litany of musical offspring: Natalie Cole, Nancy Sinatra, Roseanne Cash. You know, all very successful in their own right. But again, like I, I think of like Evan Ross. Evan Ross mm-hmm. tried to be a singer, right? Or he's mm-hmm. trying to be a singer. Diana Ross's still? son? I think so. Last time I saw Diana Ross at the Hollywood Bowl, she brought out uh, her oldest daughter. Not the television. Trace. Not no. Tracy. Oh, the other one. Yeah. She has a daughter that's the older daughter that's a singer, like a jazz singer. I think she's actually yeah. a successful jazz singer. And then Evan Ross also sang a set. Um, you know, but sometimes it's just not there. Mm-hmm. The other one I thought of, and this is kind of a low key, like, I don't know why this guy isn't a bigger deal, is Austin Brown. Do you ever look? Who is that? Austin Brown is Reby Jackson's son. Oh. So Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson's nephew. Um, very much like you look at him and like that that dude's a Jackson. He looks like the Jacksons from the 70s. Um, oh, yeah. You listen to him sing. You're like. That is the incarnate the the reincarnation of Michael Jackson. He had some is songs it, that were big on like KCRW, like college radio type of like NPR radio type of stations, like years ago. 
And I was always surprised that he never really had his moment to break out. And that um, also like the connection to the Jacksons, I felt like it was largely downplayed. Like I feel like maybe that's a, I mean, I guess you could play up the Janet Jackson connection now. Well, I feel like even if you just made your stage name, Austin Jackson, you know, does it have the cachet? I mean, does, does it have the cachet anymore? I feel like a marketer or someone would be like, Hey, like this is how we need to position you. Right. If you want to, cause you've got, you've got talent, you've got great music. Like, Let's make this happen. Maybe this was his choice. I, that's what I wonder. I wonder if sometimes if you're a celebrity offspring, if you're like, hey, I, I want to do this on my own. I want to like carve my own path out for myself, right? You don't want to, um, you don't want to ever be faced with that critique that like, oh, well, you're just popular because of who your parents are or who, you, who your relatives are, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, Austin Brown, Amazing, amazing music. I will check him out. Yes. Um, I'm sure you you probably heard a couple of his songs on like KCRW back in the day. Um, You know, when it goes into reality television stars, I think the credibility for reality television stars is even harder. So I think this is a hurdle that Kelly Osbourne had to face. Um, Kelly Osbourne being the only one one I could think of with a musical pedigree, except for maybe Nicole Richie. Mm. but nicole richie so i remember back in the day when after the simple life finished nicole richie like demos leaked i can't find them anywhere there was a nicole richie song called dandelion and (laughs) but nicole richie was always like no 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 i like i'm never i'm never gonna try and release music she always denied it but like obviously paris hilton released um a major label debut that got i think it got her dropped um heidi montag from the hills you know, as as we talked yeah. about Kim Zolciak and various Real Housewives, I forgot about Brooke Hogan. Remember, Hulk Hogan also okay. had an MTV show called Hogan yeah. Knows Best, and then his daughter Brooke Hogan began releasing music. Very C-list Willa Ford, and in that Willa Ford was already probably B or C-list. That puts uh, that adds up to uh, what is that F-list? Oh, E E or F-list for Brooke Hogan. Um, yeah, you know, and then we talked about Ashley Simpson, sister of Jessica Simpson also had a reality show, but that was again, focused primarily on the development of her music career. And I mean, to be honest, like Ashley Simpson's music career was destroyed in a way by reality television. Well, uh, sketch, sketch, sketch comedy, (laughs) live TV. It's a different Emmy category. Um, So anyway, yeah, a literal smorgasbord of winners and losers with from reality television. Um, so in that sense, like I don't, I don't know that there was a path forward for, yeah, Kelly Osbourne. Yeah, especially someone who just came out of it, like, or who was doing really like rose to fame through it. I think you you know you're doing it while you're making the pr- television program because the television program is the only way that you're going to promote your music, right? Yeah, and then but at the same time the the television program is undercutting your credibility. Not only is it making you look like a cash grabby reality star, the show itself is also like disgusting. <laughs> Which one? The, uh, the Osborne. Oh yeah. It I kind was, of careened. It was... I was recalling, I was reading through the very thorough synopses of the Osborne's on Wikipedia 
And I was recalling that, like, I don't recall ever watching the Osbournes. Maybe I caught clips of it on Talk Soup or something like that. Yeah, I I think I watched a couple episodes, maybe with friends or something. There was a whole episode about how their dogs were shitting all over the house. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Right? You remember these yeah, things. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... I question the uh, the brilliance of the move to try and launch a legitimate music career um, while starring in a television show about how your dogs are shitting and peeing all over your Beverly Hills mansion. Yeah, I think it may be... Well, I don't know if it overestimated America's <laughs> appetite for trash because... <laughs> I mean, it was very successful. You couldn't possibly, right? Like, yeah, they won an Emmy. But it is, the, it is yeah. like... Very much the definition of like 15 minutes of fame. That's your recipe for 15 minutes of fame is like, let a camera crew come into your house and just showcase every gross thing about your life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it, it really set that bar where it's like, you couldn't be boring. You couldn't be normal. Exactly. You had to, you had, to, it always had to be heightened yeah, to yeah. some degree. Get the so. pet psychologist in there. Get the, you know... Anyway, get the crucifixes up on the wall and the devil skulls out of the devil box or whatever. You know, it's it, it, yeah. it's just all too much. And um, the last thing, I guess, I was thinking about in that Kelly Osbourne, she's changed genres between her first and second album or her mm -hmm. second and third album, depending on how you look at it. I was thinking about like how difficult it is to successfully do that when it is that um, musicians have done that in the past and audiences have gone along with them on that ride or when you just go like, well, this is, this is silly. Like, why are you doing this? You know, or you look at it with kind of an eye roll. Like, I think it's easy to think that, especially in an era of pop stars, that we don't think that pop stars have a lot of agency in terms of what the vision for their music is. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not so much now, but I feel like you know, when we had like a lot of the rise of the bubblegum pop starlet, like it, it felt like they were all just being smushed into the same um, mold, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's very easy to look at a young woman like Kelly Osbourne debuts as a pop punk rock singer and then follows that up with a, a synth pop um, opiate, musical opiate. <laughs> Is that an app description? Yeah. But, you know, like to, to see that as like a lack of point of view is what I'm trying to say. Got it. Got it. That uh, you're flailing a bit and just trying to go for whatever might be popular or might stick. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was like, you have Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga does a, um, a jazz album, Ugh. jazz standards album with um, Tony Bennett. And well, I don't know if we all go along with her on that, but we buy into it. Like we, we, well, we Do believe, we? we believe that Lady Gaga did that because Lady Gaga was like, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm loving right now. Yes. 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 I do believe, I don't believe that it was a cash grab. I believe no, that it is clearly absolutely not. something. <laughs> no, but I mean, she won a Grammy. They won a Grammy yeah, yeah, yeah. for the last album. And I mean, it's incredibly popular, but like, it's incredibly popular in the way that those Rod Stewart jazz standard albums are uh, like to me, like, I don't, I don't think that she has the, uh, the range ability to pull that <laughs> off in the same way. Like, you know, having, having loved and listened to standards for a very long time, you know, you, you get you know, kind of like what we were talking about <clears throat> 
with you know a singer's ability to really deliver a line or i don't necessarily i i believe that she loves this music and she loves this style um i don't believe it's not i don't necessarily like her versions of the songs i don't think they're I don't think she's singing poorly. She's not like top top of your list for listening. No, no, to no, those no, songs. no. It would still be like, look, Sarah Vaughn did it or whatever, you know. And Ella Fitzgerald did that song, and maybe yes, it was sixty years ago, but like, it's still you can't compete with that. Like yeah. we have it on. You've wax, brought you know nothing new to this. That nothing I new. Need to hear. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And and that's not a you know again, it's it's not a question of authenticity. It's just I just don't like it necessarily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, yeah, because, um, you know, when it comes to the authenticity factor, like, I don't think we ever question when Christina Aguilera makes a musical move. Oh, yeah. Right. She does her pop debut. She does Stripped with Linda Perry. She does the crazy um, Andrew Sisters album. What was that album called? Candy Man. Candy Man. What was that album well, called? Was, back, no, to back to Basics. Yeah, yeah. You know, we and... To some extent or another, like fans went along with her on that journey. They believed that that was that she was in control of that decision and that that was truly like from her heart. I mean, in a way, like when she did Back to Basics, I was like, well, you must you must love this because this isn't that good. (laughs) Well, we've talked about this before. Or it's just not on trend. You know, like she was a taste. She was defying trends. She does. She does. She defies trends. She's do- well. That being said, she just released a Spanish language song, right, with a couple people. So yeah, yeah. very on trend. Are we still part? Are we still in the Latin explosion of nineteen ninety nine? I think yeah, yeah. so. No, I, I. Well, I think Latin music is a big deal. Like you have like Bad Bunny. You have uh, Maluma, who's very very attractive. Oh, totally. Um, you know, I think it, it's but. I don't always <laughs> listen to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I know yeah, it's yeah. there and I actually know that it's like super popular. It's just like not, I, it it doesn't fall into my <laughs> listening all the time. <laughs> but, we digress. That was, that was a huge digression. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, so changing genre. genres, genre yeah. changing. Cause I was thinking, I remember when Alanis Morissette debuted in 95 with Jagged Little Pill um, I think that was her U.S. debut, but prior to that in Canada, she had been singing pop music. And so there was a little bit of cynicism about like, what prompted this change? Is this change authentic to you? Mm-hmm. Did you bring about this change? Is it a record label that's just manufacturing you into a rock star, you know? Yeah. And I instinctively feel that way about Kelly Osbourne. Just based on like her limited output, and then I don't know. I don't know what it is. I feel, but I feel like that did affect her, you know? Yeah. And I, I, maybe she was, she was seeing the time she knew girl rock was going away. The, oh, oh yes. So the, the, that segues into this issue that we've talked about previously on, who are we talking about? Katy Perry. Katy Perry. Katy Perry ringing the death knell for um, women in rock. Um, Guitar-led women in rock. Yeah, yeah. I was just being glib. Well, we've touched upon it a few times because I, I think when I was talking about Veruca Salt in a previous episode, um, there was some stat that I had researched for that episode that was like, um, in the early 90s, I think it was Susie and the Banshees topped the Billboard Alternative Charts, number one song. Mm-hmm. A solo female 
did not top the alternative Billboard charts until Lord with Royals from like oh. what that I think it was like 1992 to 2016. So like rock music, alternative music has not necessarily proven itself to be like a hospitable place for women who rock. Right. No longer a controversial statement. <laughs> but um, welcome to may, 2010, may, Barry. But maybe more so. I mean, maybe more so now. Like, I don't know, you yeah, know? Yeah. Supl- uh, what is it in French? The more things change. Does Brandy Carlisle, does she chart on the rock charts? Maybe. I don't know what is housed in alternative charts anymore. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird genre. I think they might have done away with it recently. Yeah, I think so. Um, we actually talked because rock that. and al- rock and alternative it kind of diverges and then reemerges. Um, you know, we were talking about alternative music from the '90s being grunge. It's it's so disparate, not disparate, discordant, and mm. organic feeling and rough around the edges and. I think that's always what differentiated alternative music from like rock music to me, right? When we get into the late 90s, I feel like they kind of merge back together. Alternative rock gets a little bit of polish to it. It gets a little bit of pop structure to it. And I think that's where we get something like an Avril Lavigne from is Mm. like, this used to be alternative music. Now it's like pop punk, power punk, where Mm. it's got the kind of rock attitude, punk rock attitude, but the polish of a pop song. I think when we have Kelly Osbourne doing Shut Up, that's in the same vein of like punk inspired pop music. And um, when we were talking about Katy Perry, back to Katy Perry as the uh, Grim Reaper of rock music, women in rock music. (laughs) By the time Katy Perry comes around with... um, I kissed a girl, right? That was like 2006, I think. That song officially was released. Um, I mentioned this in that episode. There was a rock version of that song with drums and a live guitar. And when we got the actual version that was released to radio, it was a pop version where the live drums were replaced by a drum machine and there was a whole synthesizer track added to it. And it just further sanded down the edges i think of rock music and what rock music was becoming and so to bring it back to kelly osborne when she releases her first album in 2002 it's very much in that punk pop realm but by the time we go to 2005 when she decides to just change gears completely like we're looking at a different ecosystem of pop and rock music at that point i think where Mm -hmm. especially for women except for Avril Lavigne, apparently, except, you know, it's hard to have a successful career in rock music. And I have a few examples in this week's playlist. There's like Fifi Dobson, Sky Sweetnam, um, Alex Johnson. Like a lot of people were trying to kind of emulate the success of early 2000s Avril Lavigne. But by the mid 2000s, it was like, no, like you need to, you need your music to skew even more pop for it to be palatable mm. right now. It's 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 that slow transition I think that we get into like Katy Perry is now making like EDM. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. a it was a slow evolution into that realm. And um I think the thing for me with Kelly Osbourne is that it just it seemed like it happened real suddenly. <laughs> there was no gradient to that. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. it was it's just, just like do this yeah it's suddenly just like hey uh hey kelly we you're no longer you know a punk pop girl you are you're ladytron I, I put a few, I also put a few comparable tracks from around that era in this week's playlist. So I was looking at bands like um, obviously Fisher Spooner, um, but Lady Tron um, had a great song called "Destroy Everything You Touch." They of course uh, they of course um, then later produced wrote and produced the song "Birds of Prey" for Christina Aguilera on Bionic. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this song "Magic" by Lady Hawk. Um, Annie, who did that song Heartbeat, that was really big for a while. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, so I think I think it's really interesting to look at like how music shifted so completely and then I don't know what it took to kind of successfully parlay yourself into a synth pop realm. And Kelly Osborne didn't make it. <laughs> Not a success in that regard. It was a flop. But hey Redeemed. Redeemed. I love this song. It's a good effort. Um, could it have been done better by someone else? Probably. Um, could they have done it without plagiarizing? Probably. Probably. Um, but nonetheless, I think it stands on its own as, um, you know, a highly listenable, something that I still tune into. Like I still, this song still comes up for me on playlists occasionally. And I'm like, hey, yeah, no. I'll listen to it. No. No? That doesn't, does it? Really? Well, no, it just, it just comes How? up. Oh. Is no, no, like I have... Song? No, like I have, well, I have playlists, I think, that feature it and other songs like it. So sometimes when I do, um, Spotify does your like daily playlists. Uh huh. Yeah. It'll call. So it shows from, up in there? Yeah. It'll call. It'll, oh. it'll come up with correlations and be like incorrect correlations. Cause clearly even Spotify doesn't know who to correlate. Uh, no, Kelly they're Osborne. like, what is this? Who? How? Cause what is it? If I look at Spotify. By way of closing this episode out, Kelly Osborne fans also like, according to Spotify, Ashley Simpson, okay, Melanie C, hmm. Victoria Beckham, interesting, Emma Button. Okay, so we're going full Spice Girls the here. Spice Girls, yeah. Lindsay Lohan, yeah. Okay, Rachel Stevens, who's that? Uh, former member of S Club Seven. Oh, oh, current uh cast member on uh not Stars on Ice. There's a British television show where they pair non-ice skaters with ice skaters and they get them to ice skate, like pairs ice skate. Ooh, Sounds perfect. very dangerous, right? If, if you thought yeah, Dancing yeah. with the Stars was perilous, like put them on ice skates and have them throwing around, throwing yeah, each like other around. Yeah, like knives on their feet. Yeah. <laughs> Just throw them into walls. <laughs> Celebrities with knives on their feet. That's what it's going to be called in the U.S. Um, oh, Paris Hilton. Fans also like Paris Hilton. Jerry Hallowell, more Spice Girls. Danny Minogue interesting possibly that uh it's the gay connection is it like the synth poppy oh it's the dance it's the dance on it yeah it's the the dance part of it what was that danny minogue song i liked put the needle on it oh no no no. love fight there was a song did she have a song called love fight i have no idea that was the danny minogue song i like uh jessica simpson a teens girls aloud hillary duff natalie imbruglia I think at this point it's just the people who wrote <laughs> Heidi Montag, song, of course. You know, yeah, okay. Oh god. <laughs> I'm gonna redeem Heidi Montag someday. No, don't. She has an amazing okay, don't, don't even don't don't put it on don't put it on recording. Don't don't put that out in the I'm world. I'm gonna put that out in the world. I'm gonna make it happen. Oh god. What was that song that I love by Heidi Montag? I don't Montag? know. 
George, if you're out there, email me your favorite Heidi Montag song <laughs> and I will talk about it. <laughs> he just won't respond to the email. <laughs> I, I don't respond to any emails except for emails that promise like enter to win a sweepstakes for like a thousand dollars worth of pillows and stuff like that. Where your gap cash is now at like whatever, $500. <laughs> Basically. Um, anyway, are we done? I think we're done. Think Jason. We're done. Take us away, Jason. excuse me well special thanks to Adam Elder (laughs) for composing our theme music songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website floppredoomer.com sidebar do we still do that yes okay yes I do every episode that's like the one thing that I do regularly we have not posted anything to like Twitter I don't think in like no you know but Instagram we're we're vaguely on remember to rate review and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice check us out on social at flop redeemer on instagram and twitter and at facebook.com slash flop redeemer and email us at flop redeemer at gmail.com we will read it i'll skim cannot it promise cannot promise a reply because we're anxiously well also i don't want to speak for the both of us via email this is true on any of our we need like a social media manager to develop our uh tone of voice i know who are we? How do we reply to these things? I don't know, Jason. I don't respond don't to have a brand. I guy. don't respond to my own personal email, so I don't. <laughs> he doesn't. Re- listeners, he does not reply to texts. True, true. We all were very concerned that perhaps he had died in his house, but uh, does anyone else just... out there feel that sense of shame when you need to reach out to someone and then you open up the text message to them? And then you realize that you have like several unanswered text messages from them from like several days or possibly several weeks ago and then you have this like emotional crisis of like i can't reach out to this person because they reached out to me and i did not respond this person who you've been friends with for going on like 20 years follow us on instagram that understands (laughs) that this is the cycle follow us on instagram if you can relate (laughs) okay bye all right bye (laughs) 